we're addicted to beliefs and it's really hard to change a belief when those beliefs have provided society sanctioned benefits like you just described when now other people's beliefs are feeding into that so well of course you're right to be the ceo it's like well did you really want to be the ceo did you even want to get into this business i'm michael max and this is geological failure is unavoidable the reliable frustration that arises when your spouse yet again you know loads the dishwasher that way, the patient who, despite your best intentions and efforts, continues with the foods and behaviors that directly affect the problem that you're attempting to help them solve, the negotiation that didn't go your way, the recipe that didn't work, the business plan that proved itself to be more fantasy than practical. Failure is unavoidable. You can attempt to avoid it, and good luck with that, or embrace it as work not yet done. An idea, perhaps half-baked, but given time and iteration, has a shot at something meaningful, lucrative, and helpful. There's a model of software development called Agile. Great name when you think about it. Agile development is more about testing and iteration than it is about creating something full-blown brilliant at the start. And the reason for this is that it's almost impossibly difficult to create full-blown brilliance at the start. Just like nature evolves life from one generation to another and doubles down on what works in a particular environment, so too with agile development, you take an idea and then create a minimal viable product and release it into the world. That's right. It's purposefully not complete. It is, however, good enough that people can start to interact with it in the marketplace. And that is where the magic happens. It's the customer feedback that lets you know what needs to be added or improved. It's all the points of failure or disappointment that point you in the direction of creating something that's useful and desirable. Agile development sounds like a good idea, and it is. The theory of practice behind it is solid. It's a great way to not waste your time and resources, but here's the thing. That process of iteration and improvement, it feels like failure at every step because it is indeed failure at every step. But it's failure in the service of creating something reliable, desired, and effective. The trick is to not only not take the failure personally, but to seek it out with appreciative curiosity. Getting friendly with failure just might be the best way to avoid failure. To acquire the mindset of a true scientist who's not so concerned about facts, but curious to see if his or her ideas and hypothesis actually hold water, they're as happy to get a no as a yes, because it's not about being right and proving something. It's about an inquiry into understanding how things work. 
A few months ago, back in episode number 253, I had a conversation with Randall Lyons on addiction and healing. As with so many invigorating conversations, it raised more questions than gave answers. And in this episode, we're going to pick up on some of the themes and questions from that earlier discussion. One of the tangents of this conversation is how to navigate through dealing with addiction when your addictive behavior is part of the success that you've created in the world. It's one thing to hit rock bottom and know that you need a change. But what if you're flying high and your Tesla payments, kids schooling and jumbo mortgage are reliant on the ways of being in the world that are actually keeping you from healing your wounds and traumas of the past? As with most profound healing processes, there are no straight lines, and the dark forest of our unresolved issues are full of both peril and promise. Randall is a reliable guide to this kind of journey. Let's get into it. Randall Lyons, welcome to Geologic. Welcome back to Geological. Thank you, Michael. It's wonderful to be back and see, I can see your face and hear your voice along with everybody else. Yeah. Well, you know, we get, we have the video for our convenience, but you know, the great thing about podcasts is it's like listening to a story and who doesn't like to listen to a good story? Ah, well, I, I hope we can spin one today. We've one together today, a couple. Well, let's find out. You know, it's, it's like being in clinic. Someone shows up, we show up. What's going on here? Well, let's find out. Removing the, well, I know exactly what's going on. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of hope for that. There's a part of me that hopes for that. Like, oh man, I hope I know what's going on. And like, I can be one of those, oh, the patient walks in the door and I know just what to do, right? There's that whole thing. But if my day was actually like that with every patient, I would be bored out of my mind. Absolutely. Uh, I love the conversation with that part of myself. You know, oh boy, I sure hope I nail this one. I can, yeah. <laughs> then of course, at the end, it's like, well, that was nothing like, <laughs> or, or wherever the path leads. It's, it's always more fun that way. Absolutely. Like conversations. Something about that walking into it with a sense of not knowing that's not a place to stop. That's actually the place to begin. I'll throw this at you because it's popped up a couple of times this week. Uh, Joseph Campbell's popped mm. up and the idea of the Knights of the Round Table going out to get the Holy Grail. And uh, he has some quote that says you have to enter the forest at the darkest place where there is no path. Because if you're following a path, you're following somebody else's path. Can't do that. Got to forge your own. Entering the forest at the darkest place. I, I don't know if other people would admit this, but I, I got to tell you, I, I've spent a just a little time in the woods and there's something right about like the evening coming on. It gets really creepy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have you had I know exactly what you mean. It's like, oh yeah, nature is supposed to be wonderful. And like the sun's going down, you start hearing all these different sounds and it's, you know, you, and you're in the woods. You're not like in, you're not like out in a, in the open, you're in 
the gang woods. It's creepy. The the Irish call that place the the, the moments of betwixt and between, mm. right? When the those liminal places when the sun's going down and you know change is coming. And what kind of change? I don't know, but it's getting darker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. And then there's the other piece that always gets my attention. Like, what the hell is here in the woods with me? That's right. Yeah, I'm going to be alone in the woods. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> It'd be fine if I was alone in the woods. That'd be okay. But, yeah, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go spend three days on, a, on an inward journey alone in the woods. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, have fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I wouldn't call it fun. Um, but you learn something about yes. yourself. Always. You know, well, I don't know about always. You might come out of it traumatized. That's an option. Well, well, there's a subject that's been popping up a lot lately, right? Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to, to invite you back and continue the conversation. Uh, one aspect was trauma. We we touched on it. One aspect is addiction. We've touched on it. You work intimately with both. It's part of your path. And uh, and I realized after our last talk, which I thoroughly enjoyed, I just I just love like hanging out and gabbing about medicine. Who knows where the hell it takes you? But I realized that I wanted to go a little deeper into addiction. I want to go a little deeper into trauma. It's all very popular stuff. Like trauma informed medicine is, is it's, it's kind of like the latest fashion. It's like the new jargon. I hear it everywhere. And, you know, for good reason, trauma is a, it can be a, a big problem. I felt like we didn't, we talked a bit about it, but we didn't like dig into it. We didn't like step into the forest. And so I, I'd like I like to start with that. I like to start with stepping into that dark forest and and talk a bit about trauma and uh, how we can help as practitioners and and what some of that path might mean for us in our own development as well. Uh, excellent way to end that question. Put the put that little tail end on. How can that help us as well? Right. I don't think. In my experience, there's ever been a time where if I've successfully helped somebody, it hasn't helped me. And specifically, the idea of the spleen and digesting and ye, it feels to me like, well, let, let's start with this. The what is the definition of trauma? As that is changing in our society as language changes these days. I was listening to a gentleman who grew up in the Cultural Re Revolution of China just yesterday talk on a, a, another podcast saying that he thinks all of China is traumatized that came out, came up underneath that regime. And he was talking about how it doesn't have to be a singular event and how it can just be this cumulative water on a rock kind of situation to where, you know, he talked just about like, you know, being woken up at two o'clock in the morning and the whole family has to get outside in the street and 
shout the slogans and uh, you have to do it with enthusiasm. And that was a normal occurrence. And yeah, that kind of fits the bill. So the definition of trauma, I'll, I'll throw this at you mm -hmm. because it, I think it's a good place to just dive into the deep end. I love paradoxes and I love the idea of our society today embracing a wider definition of trauma, like, like I just gave you. And it doesn't have to be a singular event. It couldn't be this. It could be cultural. It could be this. And I love that. And because it's inclusive, and we have this inclusivity. And for me, and we'll get into this, I don't think anybody makes it to adulthood without some form of, as I call it, trauma, abuse, heartbreak, and loss happening to where our heart breaks and we're one way before and another way after. But with that inclusivity also comes the danger of Everybody gets a trophy, you know, and everything turns great. You don't, you no longer have the clear distinction between black and white and yin and yang. You have everything just gets muddled into gray. And to quote more than one person in, that I've spoken to and treating them, it's like, Randy, I, I don't have any trauma. Look, I sat in your waiting room and I had a short chat with the, uh, the war veteran and she, she's got trauma. All right. And I don't got anything like that. So, you know, this whole idea of my therapists or trauma therapists trying to tell me that my addiction stems from trauma. I don't got any of that. What are you talking about? So both of these things are true at the same time mm -hmm. where you have this wider definition, which needs then to be fleshed out on individual levels and you have this very stark definition of we're one way before and we're another way after. There's no going back. We're changed forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A potent sort of moment. Now, I, I hear you talk about this. And I know something about heartbreak because I'm a human being. And we all do. Is your heart breaking open or is your heart breaking closed? All right, there's one question. There, there, there's one entree into that forest. You brought up something else, and I've talked about this some with Sabina Velms. And, and, and you'll find it in her, her translation of Suen 5, Humming with Elephants. It's, it's a play on words. It's one of my favorite books on Chinese medicine. And she talks about two kinds of change. There's, there's Bien type change and there's hua type change. Now the words bien hua in modern Chinese just it just means change. But in the older Chinese, bien is is an incremental kind of evolutionary step by step. You can go forward, you can go back, right? So it's a step by step progression. A hua change is where the rug is pulled out from under you. It's the change that you can't go back from, right? Pregnancy is a hua change. Puberty is a hua change. Your wife walking out on you is a hua change. Waking up in the gutter and deciding, I'm done. That's probably the beginning of a hua change, I would suspect. And they are utterly and completely transformative. 
So here we go. Here's trauma. You're talking about trauma as being a Hua type change. Is it the Hua that breaks you or the Hua that makes you? Both the same. And mm. the whole avenue of discussion about your gift comes from your wound. Mm -hmm. And often you don't find your gift in this life until you've gone into that wound and done the the work, the digestion that is necessary, as opposed to closing over it and having a reaction. And in my work, I love, I wrote that down beyond, well, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to read some humming by Sabine. That's been on my list. I love that. You're going to love it. Um, the idea for me uh, that this brings to mind is, and I'm going to mess up the quote, but it goes something like this from the Ling Shu. The evil chi that attempts to penetrate to the heart cannot make it fully to the heart because if it makes it to the heart, the Shen will depart and the person will die. So therefore, the evil chi that attempts to do this will be diverted to reside in the pericardium. And for me, uh, many people I've spoken to said, well, they're, they're talking about heat and that kind of evil chi. But for me, that is what we're talking about that I equate to the emotion of fright. That boom! And that uh, Machiocha has a lot of different kinds of translations for words, but I love his explanation of what fright does to the chi and that suspends the chi. Mm. And it's that, it's like suspended animation. Things just stay there. And that equates so well to brain patterning and choices, fight, freeze, flight, you know, we have limited choices. Well, then does that trauma then stick and go into that closed type you were talking about earlier? And it sticks. And now we think that we only have those closed set of choices. When that stimuli comes in again for the rest of our life, that smells like that same kind of trauma. Uh, fascinating stuff for me. So that idea of residing in the pericardium, then I, I take it and run with it. And what does that look like? And how does it manifest? And how can we turn that into English? And how can I turn that into Chinese medicine for my colleagues? When you talk about that moment of suspension, the image that comes to mind is like watching an, an old cartoon where something gets blown up and there's this moment where you like see all the pieces coming apart. Yes. An exploded view of something. Yes. It's like that freeze frame moment where it just stops suspended in space. Okay. So now you're suspended in this moment. There's actually some clarity in that moment. You know, if, if you pause to look, everything's kind of blown up. And uh, when I was a kid, I had a, an old, Triumph Spitfire sports car. What a disaster. I had to rebuild that thing like twice. <laughs> <laughs> kind of fun. You know, it, it gives a boy something to do and I get into it to too much trouble. 
But one of the things that I loved about, they had manuals back then. You could like fix your own damn car. And they had these like exploded views of the engine so you can see how everything's Yes, <laughs> yes, right? yes. I love, like the people that could draw that shit, that was cool. And when I, and when I hear you talk about this moment of, of suspension, I, I'm seeing that kind of a thing. And, and I'm wondering, oh, okay. Everything's kind of here and revealed to be seen if you want to pause and take a look. I'm wondering if that might be a way through that experience. You are are nailing it. And, and what ends up happening in that moment is do we open or do we close? Mm. And it for me, all of these moments happen to everybody. We're one way before, we're another way after. Mm -hmm. But for the people Randy, how come, you know, the same thing that happened to me happened to my siblings, but I'm the identified patient and I come out of this with the addiction and they're all fine. They're all very successful in their field. Yeah, yeah, we could talk about that. But why am I the addict? Why are they normies? And it's, all right, in that moment, you, you said the word, there's clarity. It may be a fleeting clarity, but a, it's clarity to where a choice is made. And if we, collective language, if we decide that in that moment, okay, I can take, <clears throat> excuse, I can take this information and I can bring it home to my family where it's safe and I can express it as best as I can, fully as I can, honestly as I can in that safe environment. <sighs> Boy, that's a blessing. Mm -hmm. and that's part of that digestion and release and expression. And then the evil chi gets dis ah, expressed. For many people, it is not safe. I can't express it. And guess what? Part of the decision goes, Oh man, that hurts so much. That is never happening to me ever again. Mm -hmm. I will not allow that to happen to me again. And there's that closing you were talking about. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at Ann Cecil Sturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Now your options are dramatically reduced. Exactly. 
fear, flight, fight. You know, and I can see too how someone might might make a decision. This is never going to happen to me again. I'm going to make sure I got enough damn money that I never get close to Big a situation deal. like this again. And now I'm an investment banker because I am never, you know, I'm my money is going to protect me from that stuff. Exactly. Now, is that addiction any better than somebody else who's, you know, to society it is? You drive a nicer car. That's right. You might be able to afford some decent therapists. You wear some nice clothes. You might live in a nice place. You know what? I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'd rather have that addiction than the one that's got me in the gutter. Do you, though? <laughs> well, let's find out. I'm I'm going to come down on the side, if nothing else, in devil's advocate. You know, and it'd be nice to drive a Tesla. Um, that, yeah, like, if I'm going to have an addiction, I'd rather have the one that is more socially functional. Let's put it that way. All right. Let me ask you this. All right. Because I've had the honor and pleasure of helping people in addiction treatment centers from all socioeconomic backgrounds, and I, I've had the honor and pleasure of being asked to be at the ground floor of a very high-end place when it just started, and it's it's very successful now. So I've got to treat many very successful people from all different avenues, entertainment, business, sports, and it does not matter. Addiction is addiction. There are rules that apply to everybody, and they've bought into this idea that, well, I'd rather be very successful than those people at, you know, the other facility that this place owns, you know, we sleep in much night, we got much nicer foods and we get to afford, you know, better therapists like you, Randy. And I get to go, um, well, First of all, I'm not a therapist. Second of all, we're going to take a completely different look at this. <laughs> Third of all, how old are you, dude? And it's by buying into that lie that this is a better addiction for decades because society has been propping up that lie. Their family has been propping up that lie. They've attracted a wife, husband, partner, kids that have been propping up that lie, living off of that lie. Now it's like, Randy, you're asking me to dismantle my whole life and my whole family. And th that's not going to work. So when the person who is in the successful position after decades of hard work, like we've just described here, has the same realization that you brought up to the guy who wakes up in the gutter, maybe at 32 after losing everything, that guy in the gutter has nothing left to lose. So often his ability to change and make that change is to go, you know what? I'm here. I'm, I'm, I've completely surrendered. I've got nothing left. Take me away. What's the path? So it's, I'm going to phrase this another way. I'm, I'm, work, I'm working through this as we're talking here. It's a lot easier to let go of your failures than to let go of your successes. Oh, I like that. Boy, you know, I talk a lot. I like people who just sum it up. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's what I'm hearing. I'm, 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 I'm working with this myself at the moment. Like, okay, all the stuff that's got me to where I am, 
if, you know, if there's like a, you know, a dark warrior in there, you know, something dark that's, that's fueling it. And sure. I got my own demons. Yeah. It's like, how do you give up on your success? It's like, it got me here. You know, it, it's that old thing about what got you to here isn't going to get you to there. Yeah. And, and it really is hard to let go of the things. It's like, man, this has been working for me. Right. I let go of what's working for me. And also your wife and kids who you care about, you know, it's like, what's going to happen to them if I let this go? Holy smokes. Yeah, that's that's a bigger step. That's a way bigger step. Hmm. You know, I, I tell people, especially in those high-end places, like, all right, I got a secret. I know you just spent 60 grand, but here it is. You're not addicted to drugs and alcohol or some action of choice. And they look at me like, what? It's like, yeah, that's that's not the gig. You're addicted to some belief that is underneath there. It, we're addicted to beliefs. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to change a belief when those beliefs have provided society sanctioned benefits like you just described when now other people's beliefs are feeding into that so well of course you're right to be the ceo it's like well did you really want to be the ceo did you even want to get into this business it was your dad's business i mean you know, and you told your dad growing up, this is the last thing you wanted, but you know, you took it over and now you, you've built your whole life around that heartbreaking choice of, yep, yeah, I'll sacrifice my own joy, my own love, my own true authenticity to pick up somebody else's, whatever you want to call that, choice. I hear the words here. Built your life around that heartbreaking choice. Man, I could just sit with that and take that out for a walk or sit down and write or um, that rings true. I listen to you say, you know, sometimes you hear something and you just go, that's right. Rings true. It's like ringing a bell and I, hang on a minute, just let me. Let me just, it's still ringing. Hang on a minute. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So we're back to heartbreak. I'll give you an example that will maybe go back to one of the first things we talked about, which is that guy sitting in the waiting room comparing himself to the obvious trauma of a war veteran, for example. And this is a a true statement that I use often and I have his permission. And it it was this kid, he was about 22, 23, and he was in this particular high-end treatment center and he had coasted through his whole time and it was his last group with me. And he was like, yeah, you know, I'm... I'm out of here tomorrow. And, you know, it's like, I'm like, wait a minute. Well, hang on. Whoa. I'm not letting you go. This is your group. Hang on a minute. We're, we're going to get to something here. And what came out of it was very interesting, which was, all right. So I'm here in treatment because I was going to graduate college and 
on the last assignment that was due on the last class that I needed to get my degree, I didn't hand it in. And I went out and I just, well, I just drank for like a month, and, you know, no big deal. And then it's like, I really don't have a drinking problem. So I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know. It's like, whoa, 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 back it up, back it up. So let's just play what if. So what would have happened if you got that degree? Well, then I would have taken the bar exam. Oh, well, then what would happen if you have passed the bar exam? Well, then I would have been right into my father's blah, 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 and sons, which is now going into its fourth generation, right? And it's like, dude, do you want to be a lawyer? <laughs> no, I never wanted to be a lawyer, right? But nobody's ever asked me that. <laughs> heartbreaking choice that maybe happened, I forget his age, but at that age, you know, when we're seven and we just want to play with frogs and capture bees and throw G.I. Joe off the roof and all with a parachute. Um, or not. <laughs> but, you know, he's carrying an M80. You know, this is my youth, okay? Um. I'm sorry. I, I think we came from the same neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But when it's like, you are not going to do that anymore and you're not going to be able to, you know, I want to be. No, you're not. You are going to be and sons and sons. That's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And it's like that earlier example of the Chinese man who it, it, it's like water on a rock. And it doesn't have to be an example of a obvious trauma. And it can be this kind of long, slow heartbreak. What's better? What's worse? This is great. This is, this is illuminating. Often I hear the word trauma. And, and, and there's some reactivity that comes up in me. It's like, okay, trauma, like what the hell are you talking about? Because there's a lot of ways to talk about it, a lot of ways to think about it. And especially, and I'm just one of these, man, I am not cut, I am not cut out for the top of the bell curve. I'm just not. For some reason, I want to be like a couple standard deviations off the top of the bell curve. I don't know what it is in me, but but that's me. So with that said... And these days I hear about trauma a lot and trauma-informed therapy and blah, blah, blah. And there's this part of me that's going like in my head, really like blah, 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 trauma-informed therapy. Oh, here's another person doing blah, blah, blah. I always get curious about myself when I get um, sarcastic that way. Because it usually means that there's something I'm not understanding. And all I know is something's missing. That's all I know. And, and I get antsy when something's missing. And so I hear you talk about heartbreak. And I go, oh, that's right. I, 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 I get it. Or it, I don't, it's, I, no, I'm not going to be so, um, I can't say I get it. I can say I've got a glimpse into it now. Well, I think you do get it listening to you talk and listening to what 
you just described as an objective way of looking at yourself introspectively and, and calling that part of yourself out. Oh, I know that part of myself. And I don't think I'm as good as you just described yourself. And I'm, um, I've got a pretty clingy ego, not letting, not wanting to let go. Of, uh, geez. Yeah. Until maybe somebody like you just points that out. And when you said that, you helped me melt that clingy part of myself. Listening, when one person rings a bell, mm. sometimes it makes a wonderful harmonic resonance, right? To where, and I'll say my pericardium, to where that part of my pericardium that was holding, you hit the right frequency that went, oh, gee, there I am too. Yep, here we are. Here we are. Yes. Here we are. And, and I love the way that you bring the pericardium into this. And we're looking at our Chinese medicine physiology and we're looking at how a human being is put together, you know, based on that really strange and wonderful way that the ancient Chinese have of, of looking at how we're put together. And the pericardium is the heart protector. We all know that it's the heart protector. Man, we should take that seriously, <laughs> right? It's not just a bag around the heart. It protects the heart. Maybe holds it together in some way. Is it to prevent the heart from breaking or to contain a broken heart? I don't know. And I know heartbreak is real, and I have experienced it both breaking me closed and luminously breaking me open. Those are both Hua type changes. I think it's necessary that both happen. It, that, and that's the job of the pericardium. Mm. It's to know when. Uh, when it's safe to be opened and when it's not safe and, and when it's like you need to keep this inside and we need to process, digest, however you want to call that. And it needs to, like a caterpillar in a cocoon, it, it, needs, it needs its time. It's not ready yet. And for me, the pericardium is also the organ of relationship and boundaries, right? It is literally the boundary between our, our emperor, our empress, the most important Shen shining through thing we've got, right? And everything, you know, other people, the Tao, nature, that forest, <laughs> right? At sunset, uh, something creepy here. Close up the gates, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's both. And it, the practice is knowing when to open, knowing when to close, and, and treatment is also knowing when our clients need opening and need closing. And part of, and I say this all the time, and I probably said it in our last conversation, by being in addiction treatment, I'm cheating. I'm getting such a head start on the situation because most times people are coming in admitting I have an addiction 
or being forced to admit they have an addiction, or at least being forced to look like they have an addiction, which all of a sudden now gives us in Chinese medicine something that I know I've run into all the time before I was exclusively pretty much working in addiction, which is getting the patient to take some participation and responsibility in this process. And so by just putting addiction right at the front, it's like, that's what I do. It's just like the person's coming in. Well, we already have this assumption at least that, all right, you're in that chair. I'm in this chair. Well, I'm helping you with your problem that you are already somewhat admitting to, or at least ready to look at your participation in this process. So that is such a head start from what I've had in the past of, you know, anxiety, depression. You know, it, it's so easy to say, you know, it came from this outside trauma. It's this outside thing. And I need some kind of outside agent like you and maybe some herbs, maybe some needles. Let me project all of the treatment and the healing onto you. And all right, that was a ramble. Uh, I'm following your ramble. We have all kinds of people that come in like, what's up? What, you know, what's going on? What are you here for? Well, you know, I've got this anxiety. I always hear words like anxiety. It's like, well, what the hell do you mean by that? Because we're all supposed, someone's supposed to say anxiety and we're all, and especially as like a heat, you know, a healthcare practitioner, supposed to nod your head sagely. I know what that is. No, I don't. And often they don't know what they're talking about either. It's like, okay, tell me about your anxiety. Like, how is that for you? which is sometimes very surprising for people because they expect us to nod our heads and, and have something that fixes anxiety. And having this conversation with you in this moment, that, okay, there, there's some other underlying dynamics. They're not bringing that to the table. They're just bringing the anxiety to the table. Now it's got me curious the next time someone comes in and talks about anxiety. Uh, I'll throw this at you. Do you use language as part of your medicine? I don't know if I use the language or if it uses me. I like that answer. Language is really important. One of the slides that I love putting up, and if it's a discussion kind of webinar, I can get lost and the discussion, that's it. It's like, sorry, we have 32 more slides, but this is all we got to. And it is uh, three levels. And what I do is uh, I have Jing, Qi, and Shen, heaven, person, earth. Mm -hmm. And then I draw heart with a small h at the earth level. Mm. And I draw heart with a capital H at the chi level, the middle level, and then I just draw the universal symbol for a heart and the Chinese character for a heart and put that up at the top level. And open the discussion to say, what kind of doctor are you? What kind of treatment are you? What is the language you use? What is the medicine you use? In other words, obviously that middle level with the capital H incorporates more than just 
the small h heart. It's like, well, when we say heart in Chinese medicine, we mean Shen and go all down these other, right? We listen to pulse, we listen. And then now you get to this top level and it's, it's all symbolism. It's all metaphor. It's all story and meaning and getting to this other language and other consciousness and other experiences. What do you use? What's the, if, hey, look, Randy, I got tennis elbow. I don't need any meaning in this. You know, we're back down here to the small H. It's like, I need a surgeon. I need a mechanic. I need somebody who knows the anatomical, let's fix this thing. I don't want to talk about big H's or anything else. It's like, well, okay, that's not me. And that hasn't, that's not where I built my specialty. And I know that about myself. And so, you know what? I've got some wonderful sports medicine people and anatomical people. I'll, I'll shoot you their way. Mm -hmm. And because uh, good or bad, you know, I'm attracted to that symbolism and that metaphor and that use of language to uh, sit down. What does anxiety mean? And then this brings up the whole, well, Randy, it sounds like you're starting to do psychotherapy. And you know, it's like, no, I am not a therapist. And it's like, but how do we stay out of not, because I'm all about collaboration. I love building bridges of understanding and working on the same patient at the same time. I've, I've had wonderful opportunity and God bless what blessings I've had of ha being in the same room with a, um, somebody doing um, deep trauma work, somebody doing brain mapping while the needles or somebody doing hypnotherapy, all kinds of initials after their names. And what wonderful results can happen when we work with the open-minded and the open-hearted. But um, yeah, what's our language and do we use that as medicine? Do we want to use that as medicine? Does the client want to hear that? Well, exactly. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. 
And, and, and you, you talk about the person with tennis elbow. Is there something else connected to that tennis elbow? It's like, why do they keep hitting that ball so damn hard? Like, what's going on here? I mean, you could look at it that way. That's going to start taking us to capital H heart and maybe somewhere else. Maybe they just want to get it fixed. And you know what? No harm, no foul. Everybody's like, go at it. But you may not be the guy for the job. I would not be the guy for that job. But I do know people like you know people. Hey, I know a guy. This, you know, Go see this person over here. I think one of the curious things about acupuncture in particular is that you can't touch one thing without in some way touching everything. So you do some work and that tennis elbow is better. Well, who knows what else is happening along that um, heart channel? What else might be happening? We may not find out. They may never come to see us for that bit of work, but it may open something up and it, and it moves them down. It changes their trajectory. Yes. Changes their trajectory, which is, I think all the, all what we can do anyway, because people are on their own dang journey and, and, and maybe we can help, you know, throw the train tracks in a direction that's more useful. And yes, if we want to work at these other levels, I feel like different people are just drawn to different things. You know, in some ways the trick is where do I want to work? I know for myself that has pointed toward areas within myself I need to work. I've been accused for much of my life in various relationships about how I just don't fucking listen. <laughs> it's been brought to my brought attention. Brought to my attention. Once again. Once again. <laughs> plates flying through the air. <laughs> yeah. I love what came to mind was this idea of changing the trajectory. I, I love how you say that. And sometimes we get to see further along that arc and they stay with us and other times we don't. Mm -hmm. And um, the second principle in my business, Al Alchemist Recovery, I got three of them that treat addiction and the second one is addiction is a cycle and it's like everybody can go yeah that makes sense and this is another wonderful opportunity where i get to go to people with other initials after their name and say well what does that mean to you how do you explain it and to this day and i've been doing this for a little while um Nobody's able to give me anything close to what we have in the five element cycle. And I don't consider myself a five element acupuncturist in any way, shape, or form. Every but acupuncturist is a five element acupuncturist. There's not an acupuncturist I know who's not in some way touching on the, that five phase dynamic. You can't not use that dynamic yeah tell me more i love the way you jumped in i sparked something tell me more what do you mean by that yeah. well you know there's this idea that oh there's this five-phase acupuncture and it's one thing and one way of working i have people that call me you know are you a five are you a five element practitioner i'm like i'm an acupuncturist of course i use the five elements i don't know anyone who doesn't even if you're doing plain old common yard dog tcm <laughs> scratch the surface you'll see five element relationships. 
how can we even begin to think about what we do in our work if we're not considering that dance of the five phases, the way they generate and control each other? There, there's your original model of homeostasis. What's going through my mind is like, well, you're forcing me to look at it. How, how do I do that? <laughs> yeah, right. How do I use it? <laughs> Are you asking me and, how I, you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Um, And it brought me to the beginning of the conversation where the edge of the woods, where the night's going down. And because uh, how I see my relationship to the elements is elementally in that, for lack of a better term, my spiritual path is shamanic. Mm. And uh, as long as I've been a kid growing up in upstate New York, it's... I love the woods. And when you brought, well, the sun's going down. Well, why are we afraid? Because it's getting dark. And th what's the next part of the cycle? Well, the deepest, darkest part of the night and what is residing in there? Fear. Mm -hmm. The darkness of water at the depths at the bottom of that ocean. What is there? I don't know. I don't want to go there. Well, it's coming. The sun's going down. You know, the root of shamanic is schmo. <laughs> and I want to come back to something here that you said a few minutes ago. You were talking about people uh, kind of accusing you of being a therapist. And you're like, no, I'm not a therapist. I get accused all the time. People go, wow, you're a really great therapist. I mean, like psychotherapists, like, no, I'm not. I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm not here to do psychotherapy. They're like, yeah, but you ask me about this and that. And we get into this and that. It's like, well, I need to know about you so I know what acupuncture points to use. Now, I, I feel like we're getting in, we get into some very watery territory here, right? You're just talking about the deep water, like what's in it. All right, there's that aspect. But I want to talk about the wateriness of boundaries for a moment. Because, yes. because we do walk a line that kind of, interweaves with what could be called psychotherapy. That's not our ballywhack. It's not our wheelhouse. And if, and if we step into it, we leave ourselves open to all kinds of legal grief if we're not careful. And I think we also open ourselves, whether we know it or not, to many psychodynamic, um, dynamics, not the right word, like psychodynamic energies, psychodynamic processes that psychotherapists they know something about because they study the stuff. Yes. You know, but we don't. Yes. And, and yet we're traveling similar territories here. I had a teacher many years ago when I was in college after I went back. We said, we're going to talk about some stuff today. This is not therapy, but it might be therapeutic. He, he would always make that distinction. He, he was quite a trickster. Um, but I would like to, to open up a little discussion here with you about that that watery boundary, because especially if we're working with trauma, especially if we're working with people, I'm going to say from capital H on up in that Jing Chi Shen that you were talking about, we're going to be working in that dark woods. And as acupuncturists, what do we need to know about? What are some things that we might want to be careful about or attentive to? so that we are staying on our side of the boundary 
in terms of our scope of practice and being able to be available to people as we kind of have a desire to be helpful in and is helpful to the patient because it's very easy to go, I like my work and so I'm going to work this way. And we invite patients into it. It might be better for us than them. I think we need to be careful. So I'd love to get your, your thoughts. This is more than one question. This is a, I just opened up a can of worms. Let's go fishing. <laughs> We're going to, we got a big one on the line. <laughs> I'm going to reel this puppy Let's in. reel this puppy in. Don't ask me how a puppy got in the water. <laughs> that's, oh, a puppy on the, that's terrible. This is a very important question, a very important subject, and it must be addressed, in my opinion, right from the get-go. Uh, and it would, because there are legalities and be, to me beyond legalities there are ethics mm. yes and that's where i know i still can get slippery when a client can say oh randy you know your groups are so much better than you you just explain this in a way with those little circles and the guys swimming after each other and the black and the white that makes so much more sense than that fill in the blank different initials after their name went to school for a really long time and knows what they're talking about other person it's so easy for me to allow that kind of praise to start to erode the boundary and know what it comes down to and where I always say that the boundary is unequivocally clear and we can make it that way is in language. Back to the language thing again. Stay on our side of the boundary, I say, stay on our side of the street, keep our side of the street clean. As they say in the recovery field, that's all we can take care of. Why? Because that's all we went to school for. So when someone says, your example earlier, anxiety, we don't have anxiety in our version of the DSM-5. That is a DSM-5 kind of thing, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual fifth version, and they're going to come out with new versions, and they're going to keep changing their definitions of things. But that is the psychotherapeutic modern language. That's not our language, period. So don't use it. Mm. And it's okay to use, in my opinion, words that have depression, anxiety, been addiction, been taken out of the DSM-5 and are now in the public domain. You know, they're so used so much that now you don't have to pay copyright for them. They're public domain. Anybody's using them, which is what we started with earlier with the term trauma now. Mm. And so... None of those words are from traditional Chinese medicine from thousands of years ago, but they're all described. And so I believe that the medicine has the answers, but maybe I don't have the ability and or the lexicon to be able to explain it here right now. So damn it, I better get better at that. 
and I better use what I have, stay in my side of the street. And if I have to start with all that I know, which is, okay, look, sorry, this is all I got. But that kidney energy we talked about, yin deficiency, remember that? You know your client's eyes are going to start glazing over. So how do you take what we already know? All right. How do I, how am I going to do that and turn it into, let's start with our clients in front of us. How am I going to turn that into a term my client can understand and stay on my side of the street, not step on other professionals' toes? Let me start there. And that's what my groups are. And then once I get that down, once I start getting those chops, it's like, you know, playing music like we talk about. It's like, okay, now, all right, I can bring that plain English term to another profession. And now I could let them give their interpretation, psychotherapy, let's say, of how I view addiction. Hey, it's like, I got this meteor, it comes in, it smashes into the heart, and then this thing goes around it, it's called the pericardium, and it protects the heart. That's not such a big stretch of a metaphor, you know? People get that. I mean, if I've got 22-year-old heroin addicts, 35-year-old Xanax people, and 60-year-old lifelong professional alcoholics all shaking their head going, oh, that makes sense to me, I get that. Guess what? A professional in another, you know, initials after their name can shake their heads too and go, oh, that's how we say DSM-5 plug in the blank. And so as long as I error all the time on my side of the street, the Ling shoes definitions and bring that into play, I'm, I'm good and I feel good about myself. Thank you. That's, that's helpful. It, it makes sense to me. And it, it helps inform another way that I've been thinking about language, about connecting with people, doing the work that I do. I hate giving people a Chinese medicine one-on-one lesson. Whenever I catch myself saying, in Chinese medicine, I'm like, Michael, shut the hell up. Nobody wants to know that. And if I can't somehow take the principle that I want to explain, connect it to the story that my patient has already told me about their life in a way that they can go, oh, I see that, then it means I don't understand it. Furthermore, I think there is something that happens. These are not my words. This is somebody else's words, and I don't know who it is. So whoever it is, I'm giving you credit, but I, you know, some great poet. But there's something that happens when you sing someone's song back to them. And if you can take the suffering that someone's got and the troubles that, and the travails that someone has that brought them in your door, and you can sing it back to them, you can say it back to them in another way that offers some options, something happens. Because they'll grab onto it. They'll take, they'll, it's like, oh, you get me. And then they'll start to see other options because they've got another way of looking. I think we did something to their pericardium when we speak and communicate that way, heart to heart. What a beautiful medicine you just described. That's powerful stuff. I mean, isn't this what we do? 
Isn't this Chinese? This is Chinese medicine, isn't it? Or, or is this just my quirky Midwest take on Chinese medicine? Well, I'll challenge it because I, I know I can immediately plug that into schematics and models that I have. Is it Chinese medicine for you? And if so, what model is that? And can you draw it? Can you <laughs> can you put it on a slide you know, and give a webinar? Because I want to go. <laughs> well, we could sit down and talk about that. Is it Chinese? I'm going to answer the question first. Is it Chinese medicine for me? Yes, because that's what I'm working out of, and that's what I do. Is it something else? Yes. It's all of the experience that I've had in my life, all the poetry I've read, all the heartbreak that I've had, the different books I've read on everything from finances to psychology to Greek myths. You know, it's, it's like everything that I've got. I'm working on it through the lens of trying to understand Chinese medicine. I'm working on it through the process of sitting with patients and seeing, is it working? Can I put it on a slide? Maybe with some assistance and brainstorming, maybe. I don't know. Anyone do a webinar on it? I don't, I don't, I don't even know what it is that we do, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> Hot damn. <laughs> Let's see what we come up with. Uh, absolutely. I don't, in my opinion, I think it's absolutely Chinese medicine in is Greek myth Chinese? How is Greek myth Chinese medicine? It's like, is there anything better than Greek myth to fall back on to be able to connect to another's story? Mm -hmm. I love that was ringing a bell for me when you said that to help the person see it in another way. It's like, well, let me tell you what happened with Odysseus. All right. Now that cat. All right. Um, wow. How is that not Chinese medicine? Because in my opinion, how we are not alive 2,000 years ago, and as agents of change and health and under the banner and licensure of a Chinese medicine practitioner, well, guess what? That, that includes my responsibility for having removing as much phlegm over the orifices of my heart to be able to see as clear as I can. And sometimes it takes a little rock and roll to do that for me. Sometimes it takes Greek myth. Sometimes, right? And all of that relates back to me into being a better practitioner, as you just so eloquently described. So, Yep. See, I'm staying on my side of the street. I brought Greek myth right into my side of the street under the banner of Chinese medicine and rock and roll. And the rock and roll. So this is where I think it gets really interesting because is it Chinese medicine? Yeah, there's an aspect that's Chinese medicine. I'm working with the models of Chinese medicine because I'm trying to understand the damn stuff. Is it other things as well? Yes, it's other things as well. Why? How do you know? How's that work? Well, because we're all human beings having a human experience. We're not so dissimilar from each other, and regardless of time and culture and you know the zeitgeist of whatever group people into the people that they were at any stage of of human development and time, there are some things that just are the way humans are, and there's different cultures that have looked at the same thing, and they have their stories about what's going on. 
Yeah. And I remember many years ago hearing that poetic line. Again, I don't know the author, but it's lovely. And and I think it's true that the world is made of stories. I, I, I can I can kind of hearken back in a, in a misty place where I, you know, in my mind, when I first heard that, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I think that's true. And then you go a few decades and it's like, yeah, that's true. And oh, holy shit, that is true. And if that is true, what does that mean about how I'm working? You were talking earlier about beliefs, belief, story, kind of two sides of a coin. Yeah. And man, you cannot argue or talk anyone out of something that they were, no, let me put it another way. You can't reason someone out of something they were not reasoned into in the first place. And, and, and that's the dictativeness of beliefs. Yeah. You know, and I happen to have a belief that healing is possible and it, it's possible for humans to be good and helpful to each other. That's one of my beliefs. And I got other beliefs that really get in my way. <laughs> <laughs> yep. One of the sayings I have is that uh, when it comes to addiction, get to explain it through the five element cycle and everybody goes, oh, that makes perfect sense. The only thing that really changes that sticky belief that you were talking about there. Flemmy, sticky, gunky, damn. Is a very clear experience. Mm. And it speaks to that statement of you can't reason somebody out of something they reasoned themselves into. That they were not now, reasoned into. They were not reasoned into. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. They were not because what happened, they had an experience. And now, based upon their experience of life, they've formed a belief about that and right and wrong. And that is never happening to me again. Or I'm going to surround myself with an echo chamber of people who are now going to just enforce and reinforce that belief. And so now, we're back to that situation again where it's not just the individual, where we're fighting against and trying to change the tide. Not easy. Not easy. Did you sign up for easy? Uh, apparently, apparently when I dropped into this life, that's what I, I was in that line, but uh, something happened. They ran out of the easies. <laughs> <laughs> it went. They went fast. I meant to swipe right, but I swiped left. <laughs> so here we are. We're we're all the way back at the beginning again of this conversation with uh, the power of belief and uh, what a central role that it plays. And I suspect we could have other conversations that, that that spin around this and, and we'd come up with something new and interesting with each one. Um, but this is, I feel like we've made a full cycle here. That's what it's all about. I feel like we've made a full cycle. Is there anything sort of remaining that, that you feel like needs to be said at this moment? If I open up something, we'll be here again and again and again. <laughs> But as far as what we talked about, yeah, no, it's so wonderful to uh, take a walk 
into the dark forest and come out the other side. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this at you. I just signed the lease and my beautiful wife, Dana, and I are going to be moving from the Pacific to the Atlantic coast of Canada and um, woods and signs. So two days ago, before we signed the lease, there was uh, the gentleman walking around with his iPhone trying to, he's like, here's the river and everything. And he goes, oh, I, I didn't want to show you this, but see this thing here? And it was this beat up old stove by the river and it was on sticks and he carried it out there. And he goes, I'm planning on turning this into a Cobb pizza oven, but I, I wasn't going to show you, but I, here, there it is. It's like, okay. And in this dark woods, the pizza oven emerged. And why that's so important is because my wife just like did your reaction, but for a dish, she's like, oh my God, I don't believe it. One of the things that I've been talking about for this last year is when we talk about our perfect home and privacy and woods and everything. And I'm just like, and I'm going to have a pizza oven and it's going to be Cobb and it, I'm going to have a pizza oven. Oh, it's going to, there's no place that we've ever looked at that has a pizza oven. <laughs> so when you enter into and you go for that long meandering walk, you never know what you're going to find, but sometimes you find exactly what you were looking for in the least expected places. Michael, thank you so much for finding some expected things unexpectedly, teaching me in this talk today. I, I really appreciate it. Always a delight to hang out with you. Yes, uh, thank you for the walk through the woods. When I think about addiction and trauma, I think about some whispered shame, <laughs> denial, or blame, and something about character flaws or some unfortunate genetic disposition. But in the conversation with Randall and his point about an experience that leads you to say to yourself, I will never let that happen again, it makes me realize that unending heartbreak keeps us small and sheltered, that we all have protected parts of ourselves, and in doing so, cut ourselves off from something that's essential. I love his thoughts on the dark forest, and little wonder that image shows up in so many myths, fairy tales, and stories of adventure and transformation. We all probably could use a little bit of help when our solutions turn out to be the source of our problems. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.